you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, we're looking at the conversion of St. Paul. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page uh, 1065. We look here at the conversion of Paul. If I say Saul or Paul, you'll know that I'm talking about the same person. Paul is just the Latinized uh, form of uh, Saul's name. And we're looking here at the glorious conversion of Paul. We're going to look at Paul as a persecutor and then uh, basically Paul being stopped in his tracks. Then Jesus showing himself to Paul and then uh, as a result of this for the rest of his life, Paul is out proclaiming Jesus' name to the world. So follow with me now as we read Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey... Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is a chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, 
he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Now we're looking at this glorious conversion of Saul. And if Saul was here, he, he would really want to say, yes, it, it, it was glorious. But he would want to say at the same time, your conversion is just as glorious as my conversion. And he would spend a good bit of time just really convincing us that that was true. Now, he might agree that his call was more spectacular than our call, but it was no more glorious than his call, and he would want us to understand that. And now, for the rest of his life, this man, Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle, goes around the entire world telling people his story, the story of his conversion. It's narrated twice more here in the book of Acts, but as you read through all the letters that he has written, he weaves into each and every one of those epistles a good part of his own conversion story with the goal of helping us to understand his conversion serves as a model, serves as an example, sort of a template to our own conversion. He tells us as much in 1 Timothy 1.16 that that conversion that I experienced was an example to all who would believe in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have a glorious conversion as Saul has a glorious conversion, and the goal would be that we would be comfortable telling that conversion story that we have experienced to those who haven't experienced it, that we would tell it to one another that that would encourage us to be more bold in our telling that story, and that, well, everyone would know about the marvelous work that Jesus Christ has done in our lives. 1942 to 1945, a young man in the U.S. Army, his name's Harold J. Berman. Harold's brilliant. He is serving uh, in the cryptology wing of the U.S. Army in England. Information is being sent in code from the Soviet Union to Britain. Harold J. Berman and some others are in charge of translating this in order that the, the forces in Great Britain would know what the Russian army is doing. And in the same way, Berman is taking information from our leaders, encrypting it, and sending it into the Soviet Union. The war is over. He's been given an assignment. The new assignment is he is to travel from Great Britain into the Soviet Union, and he is to meet with his counterparts there behind the Soviet borders. He's Jewish. He crosses the channel. He gets on a train and gets into his compartment in the train. And during that trip, across Europe, the Lord Jesus Christ
comes into that compartment and manifests himself to Harold Berman in such a way that he was convinced that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is his Savior and that his life work is to serve Jesus' purposes. 1948, Harold Berman takes up the position of professor at law at Harvard University, and he holds that position for 40 years. Upon his retirement, he moves to Atlanta, Georgia, and for the next 20 years, Harold J. Berman holds the most distinguished chair in the law school at Emory University. During this entire life, this man has told his story over and over and over again, wherever he has been, with whomever he was uh, in contact with, he has told his story. Now, I came in contact with this story just a few months ago. And the man that was telling the story was a, a young law professor up at, not yet so young anymore, but he, he's a man named John Whitty at Emory today. And John Whitty met Harold Berman in 1968, one of the first things that he knew. Berman had become a Christian, and he was serving the Lord. And one of the key ways he was serving the Lord was sharing his testimony whenever it was appropriate and wherever he could. That's what Paul would say. That's what he would say we should be doing. That's our job in our culture. This is the Christian mindset that we are to have as we move in and about the society of Macon and wherever the Lord would lead us, that we would tell his story. Now we want to look at this under a few points quickly. But first of all, Paul was a persecutor of believers. And he persecuted, in that sense, Jesus directly. He tells us this again in 1 Timothy 1.16, that he was a blasphemer. He took the Lord's name in vain. That he was a person who was involved in persecuting the church. He was a violent aggressor. You see the stuff going on in the Mideast today? Paul could identify with that. He was involved in much of the same type of behavior personally himself, but directed against the Christian church. So he was this kind of a man, but he would want to reel us in and say, you know, as I think about that, what I know about myself is this, that I am a man who was in the darkness. I was in the ignorance of unbelief, and he talks about that. And when he talks about being in the ignorance of unbelief and darkness, he says, and we were all in darkness. And what did the Lord Jesus Christ do but deliver us from the dominion of darkness and translate us and put us into the kingdom of his own dear son. And that's what he's talking about here. In that sense, he would come to us and say, at one time, you were alienated from God. Your life manifested itself in hostile deeds. Uh, you were angry in your mind. And he would talk about this. And he would say, this is the way that you are like me. No, you didn't do the same things that I did, but your mindset was the same mindset as mine. It was alienated. It was in the darkness. And so 
we need to understand that we don't want to sensationalize our story, but we want to be able to be very clear, and I think all of us that came to faith in any point in time in our later years, there is a story, and that story we need to be clear about. Others are in that darkness, and they need to hear we were in that darkness ourselves. And so we see the second thing is what happened to Paul here. And, and, and really what happened to Paul here, he, he uses a number uh, of ways of speaking it, but it's very graphic the way it says it in the text, isn't it? He was stopped in his tracks. He was knocked to the ground. Here he was, a man on a mission, and all of a sudden it's brought to a screeching halt. Now, Paul uses a number of ways of speaking of this. He says, I was arrested. I was stopped. He says another sense. He says, I was apprehended. Christ Jesus took hold of me. And then he speaks about this about himself. But then at the same time, he says, I received from the Lord a call. The Lord spoke to me and the Lord told me what I was to do. Now, in much the same way ourselves, if we've come to faith in Christ, we know what it means to have had a direction that our life was going and to have Christ Jesus meet with us and say, no, go in this direction. And we responded to him, and our life took on a vastly different course than the one that we had planned for ourselves. And so the Lord comes to these people, and he changes them. We might say it just simply today, that the Lord saved me. That's what happened. At some point in time, the Lord came into our lives and saved us. When Pat and I were living in Columbia, South Carolina, we had a neighbor, Nancy, Nancy uh, was a young divorcee in her 20s. She managed the surgical suite at the Providence Hospital uh, where she was actually a part of the very first heart bypass surgery that was ever done in the state of South Carolina. She and my wife had this in common, cats. And so when Nancy would go away on trips, She'd speak to Pat and say, Pat, would you come watch the cats? The cats had some very interesting names like Loki and Vulcan and a few others like this. And there were books that were of the occult nature on her shelf, and that's where the cats' names came from. And so we were praying about Nancy. And Nancy was watching and where she was working, there was a girl named Ruthie Weed. And Ruthie was just merely a secretary for that suite, of the, the sur surgical suite. And the work ethic of Ruthie stopped Nancy in her tracks. She could not get over how faithful, how loyal, how thorough Ruthie did her work, how uncomplaining she just was a person that worked with joy. And one day, Nancy came to Ruthie and she said, I don't know what you've got, but whatever it is, I want it. 
wasn't long after that that Ruthie Weed brought a cassette tape. And the cassette tape was the testimony of a local man who had been a realtor by the name of Jack Matthews, and he had had a dramatic conversion. And he'd gone around Columbia, South Carolina, and the state of South Carolina giving that testimony. And so Ruthie wasn't an evangelist, but she knew how to get the gospel message out, and so she just took this cassette tape and gave it to Nancy on Friday, on Saturday, Nancy, as she tells the story, she was out behind her house in the little patio uh, sunbathing and listening to this tape, and she was converted. Sunday, Pat and I came back from church about 11.30, 11.45. Here's Nancy in her car, and she's dressed to the tens. I immediately looked to Pat, and I said, Pat, Nancy's been to church. I said, you need to go talk to her. Later in the afternoon, Pat went down the stairs from our apartment, went across the little patio area, and knocked on Nancy's door. Nancy opened the door and literally put her arms over the top of Pat's shoulders and just broke down. Glorious testimony how the Lord used multiple of people and their testimony to change. Nancy stopped her in her tracks, gave her a new life. Well, the third thing I'd want us to see is this. What ends up happening in this testimony? What ends up happening right here to the Apostle Paul? Well, it says here that Jesus showed himself to Paul. And in that light, as Ananias says to Paul, when Ananias comes to him, He says, the Lord appeared to you. And so what Paul knew is when that light flashed and in that light, he saw the glorified Lord Jesus Christ. And and at that instant, he is spoken to by that person in that vision. And it's, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? A little bit of an interrogation to this man on the ground. I think it would be clear to say that Paul realized that just about everything about his life up to that point was wrong. He was wrong about God. He was wrong about Jesus. He was wrong about the cross. He was wrong about Christians. Here is the one who was accursed by God and nailed to a cross, alive and glorified, instinctively saw from all of his knowledge of God appearing to the prophets in the Old Testament, instinctively Saul knew the right words. And Saul said, Lord, who are you? And That voice comes from that person that he sees and says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, Paul, again, tells this story twice more, just about exactly like this in the book of Acts. And just as it says here, he tells it before the kings, 
Festus, in Agrippa, in no doubt an account that's not given here, he ends up telling this before Caesar. Exactly what is promised. But Paul is always, this is the point that I would want you to take away from this. Paul was always giving this testimony at all times. And it's woven in to every one of the epistles that he writes. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about two types of people. He talks about people who have not come to faith in Christ. He talks about those people who have come to faith in Christ. And he speaks of them in relationship to his own experience at his conversion. So in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, verse 4, he speaks first of people who have not come to faith. And he says, In their case, whom the God of this world has blinded, the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What is the case of people that we know? It may be the case of you that you really have not seen the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus, and you have not yet surrendered your life to him? But then it speaks of those who have believed in verse 6, and it says this, For the God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus, shown in your hearts. It's shown in Paul's eyes. It shines in our hearts. It's the same thing, parallel, exactly parallel to Paul's own experience. This should be our commonly held experience. There was a point in time when I did not know the Lord. There was a point in time when people got in my face, if you will, and challenged the crazy little boy of West Palm Beach. And when I was challenged, I pushed it off and I pushed it away, but then I began to go to places with them and hear the things that they were hearing and experience the experiences that they were experiencing. And then all of a sudden, it was like, guess what, went off. A light went on, rather. It was like a light went on. And I saw Christ. And I was never the same. Now, that's been our experience. Notice what he's saying here. But then Paul goes on. He talks about this over and over again in these epistles. You know, Paul's on the ground here. He's knocked to the ground. He is seeing Christ. He's hearing Christ. And then a neat thing happens here. Christ gives him direction. Get up. Go into the city. You'll be spoken to there. And what Saul do? He does as he's directed. Now, you know, he speaks about that in almost every letter that he writes, doesn't he? How does he begin? 
the book of Romans and almost every other letter. He's speaking of his conversion, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He's telling us what happened to him. He saw the Lord, and the Lord changed the direction of his life, and he acted appropriately. When Ananias, well, before Ananias, what Paul relates as he's relating this whole issue of being on the ground. Here's how he relates it in the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20, a verse that many of you have, maybe most of you, have memorized. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. What is he speaking of here? He's speaking of what happened to him on that road. It was nothing short of this man, Saul of Tarsus, experiencing crucifixion. He is now going to speak to himself, and he's going to say, I was dead, and then I was made alive. Paul gets up, he goes into the city. What is it saying? For three days he's blind, for three days he doesn't eat, for three days he doesn't drink, for three days basically the Spirit is working to undo in Paul's mind everything that a lifetime of legalistic preparation has formed in him. That man is dying. What happens when Ananias comes in? It's Paul being raised up to newness of life. Scales fall off. Isn't that what we sing? And when we sing that song, the scales fell off. I arose. Isn't that what we sing? I went forth. Isn't that the way we express it? This is directly out of Paul's conversion experience. And he talks about this in epistle after epistle after epistle. What is the nature of his theology? It's the nature of his life being transformed by the meeting of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul moves on and says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. As we look in the book of Philippians, the only other passage I want to relate to you this morning, but in Philippians chapter 3, he talks about his former life. Paul spoke of it last week, where he talks about being a Hebrew of Hebrews. And then he comes to the end of that, and what does he say? All that I counted gain... I now count as rubbish. That happened right there at that event. As he moves on, he talks about his life. He says, I'm pressing on now. I'm pressing on to the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's he talking about? What happened to him on that road? His 
as he moves ahead with this passage, he's telling us that his life is hidden with Christ and God, and when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then we're going to be revealed with him in glory. All of these are the things that he saw. All of these are the things that he experienced. And now all of these are the things that he is relating to us that we might understand the glory, the surpassing glory of knowing Christ Jesus the Lord. We began by saying, as Paul writes about his conversion, that he saw it as an example and as a template and as a model for us looking at our conversion. In Philippians 1:17, he's talking about this kind of life that he's illustrated of knowing what was behind, knowing what was ahead, and pressing on in this. Now he's doing it through explaining again his conversion experience. But look what he's saying here to close this sermon with Paul's example. He says, brethren, join in following my example. Join in following my example. That's what he is encouraging us to understand and to live our lives in this way. In closing, Ananias, Ananias was there. A part of the story, if we were to go back and look at our own conversions, there are people involved, people who were used by God at one point in time or one manner or another that led to our coming to faith in Christ. Paul speaks of Ananias. Who would you speak of? But more than that, the question really needs to be, if we're talking about following Paul's example, who, if they told their story, would mention your name? Who would mention your name? That you were a person that was involved in the glorious transformation of their lives as they came to faith in Christ Jesus. May we look at this. May we be encouraged by this. May we follow its example. Let's pray. Now, Father, we ask your blessing of us. We want to learn. We want to grow. We want to mature. We want to think that our lives are following a biblical pattern. So we ask your blessing on us now. In Christ's name, amen. We have a hymn of response that's uh, printed for you there on the last page of our order of worship. Let's stand together.